Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, and we are settling in for football season now as we are week to week. As we roll through college football, I am joined, as always during college football season, by my partner Dave Simone. And this is our annual preview of the Bearcats schedule. We do this every year right at the end of camp, the week before the opening week of the uh, the season. We will have a guest from Bruin Report Online uh, next week uh, that'll that'll help us preview and take a look at UCLA. We'll have to nail down down a time for that here uh, in the upcoming days. But I've been in contact uh, with Tracy Pearson, the publisher from the UCLA site, and we are going to uh, think I'm going to go on their podcast. They're going to come on ours. We're going to do some uh, some cross content to get the fan bases familiar with the teams. Uh, no surprise, Dave. Tracy and I became friends over the spring. Yeah, I can imagine you might have had a few things to talk about. <laughs> Tracy's uh, Tracy's great. He's been in the business for a long time. Been running the UCLA site for about 20 years. Uh, so we will, as always, welcome them in as the Bearcats uh, take on UCLA here in, what are we, are we at nine? Yeah, nine days? Yeah, we're at, uh, well, we're... Technically under nine days yeah. because We've passed we're probably mid mid second quarter a week right now. So eight days and change. It's it's, uh, it's exciting. It's gonna be it's gonna be a very interesting year for a, a multitude of reasons. We will get into those uh, briefly. Camp ended today. the uh, The last trip for me out to Camp Higher Ground. Uh, I'll, I'll give a hat tip to Justin Williams outside of having to go to a wedding on Saturday. He made it to every practice. I can't say the same for the other publication in town. They, <laughs> no, no surprise, they tailed off as the week went on. And uh, I didn't see him today. So I, I judge you on your effort, Dave. Effort, effort is not effort, – effort shouldn't have to be coached, right, Dave? That's right. Bring, bring full effort. Every day. Effort should be an everyday thing. That shouldn't have to be coached. If you make me question your effort, you've lost me. I'm out. <laughs> uh, a really good camp. Uh, I, I thought it was very, um, very even. There were days the defense was very good. There were days the offense is very good. Uh, Desmond Ritter was really good. I think a new star emerged at this camp. He would be my camp MVP. I've mentioned this a, a couple times now. If I was giving a camp MVP, Dave, it would be Kobe Bryant. He was He was pretty darn good from what I saw. Absolutely dominant. All camp. Every day. Every snap that he was on the field. They could not beat him. They could not complete a pass on him. When he was in man coverage, there was absolutely nothing the defense could do. They tried everybody. They threw the kitchen sink at him. Alec Pierce, Josiah DeGuara. Josh Wiley, Jayshon Jackson, Trent Cloud, everybody. Everybody they had, they could throw at Kobe Bryant. They did. And as he said, it was either Thursday or Friday. He uh, he, he knocked down a pass on the sideline, and the offensive guy tried to say something about, you know, he got there early or it was holding or whatever, whatever the claim was. And Kobe looked at him and said, bro, you ain't completed a pass on me in three weeks. And he wasn't exaggerating. <laughs> like I can only remember maybe 
three passes completed on him in camp. You're talking about a lot of passes. Seven on seven, one on ones, team portions. Like, he's on the field a lot. And nobody could make anything happen against Kobe Bryant. I, I, I was countered today with offensive MVP uh, Alec Pierce. I think I would probably agree with that, just the consistency uh, and, and continuing to take his game to a different level. It was a great camp for Alec Pierce. Fortunately for him, most of the time he was opposite Kobe Bryant. They very much did him a favor. Or we might be talking differently about him <laughs> going into the season. We might be saying, I don't know about Pierce, man. He just couldn't get open. Um, but man, Kobe was just phenomenal and you got to see him a couple times. It didn't take much because one, they really didn't test him a whole lot. And and two, when they did, it was evident how dominant he was this camp. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they just didn't really throw at his side, whether that was by design to knowing what, you know, he's become very good and, and also maybe to kind of keep him out, keep him and whatever receiver out of out of the trash, so to speak. Like you don't want to get your star corner hurt. Don't throw the ball at him. <laughs> Just like have him stand over there with no one else around him. Think about when where you're there, when you're at higher ground for like three weeks. So think about where that secondary was at Camp Higher Ground in 2017. I'd rather not. But it's unbelievable that they've gone from that to this in two seasons. In two years, they've gone from a coach, literally an opposing coach, sitting in a film room, breaking down tape and going, we knew we could run right. We knew he wasn't stopping us. We knew he couldn't run with us. We knew he couldn't run with us. And just ripping every guy on the secondary to now, good luck against those guys. Good luck. It's impressive what the recruiting development, what they've done in that secondary is, is unbelievable. Uh, most improved. If I was going most improved in camp, I'd go Elijah Ponder. I mean, he went from a guy that wasn't in the two deep last year to maybe being their best defensive lineman and, and did that building his way up through the spring. By the end of the spring, he was taking reps with the ones. He took all the reps with the ones uh, throughout camp. And he's getting pass rush. He's effective in, in clogging up the run. Um, always a big fan of seeing guys take advantage of opportunities like that and continuously working on their game, getting better, and then being a guy that it looks like they're going to be able to count on this year. I definitely agree with that. The times I saw him, he was consistent. Especially, and it's tougher to tell in the run game in camp. They're not, you know. It's not full contact. But, and I think the area that we probably had the most questions was in the past game because Copeland and Broughton were both pretty good pass rushers from the defensive tackle spot. And that's the area that I was pretty impressed with Ponder was Several times he was, you know, putting consistent pressure, actually getting sacks. Um, he was disruptive on run plays when they allowed them to be. So it was it was good to see someone 
kind of give you a little bit of confidence that there wasn't that there hopefully won't be a big drop off from an interior pass rush standpoint because I think that's what really kind of elevated this defense last year was the pass rush abilities of Absolutely. both of those guys because it's it's very hard to scheme two defensive tackles that can rush the passer because most of the time you have one, so you shade him or you double-team him, and the weaker one you allow your guard or center to go head up on because more times than not they're probably going to win. That wasn't the case with Broughton and Copeland, so hopefully that's not the case again this year because if if these guys can uh, produce some pass rush from the middle, that's going to cause – a lot of problems for offense is when you have an experienced linebacker group and secondary group behind them. Absolutely. Offensively, it was what you'd expect. I mean, obviously we've talked about Pierce and, and his emergence. The tight ends were phenomenal across the board, blocking, passing game, third down conversions, uh, everything you could possibly ask for and, and probably more from that group throughout camp. Desmond Ritter was really good. We know the running back room is loaded. Mike Warren looks as good as he's looked at any point in time since he stepped foot on campus. Um, he, he's trimmed down. He's attacking the, the, the hole, showing a little bit of extra burst that we didn't see from him last year. Just super impressed with what we've seen from Mike Warren. And as long as they get it figured out on the offensive line, I think they've got a chance to be really good on offense this year. I agree. Um, I, I mean, I only saw a couple weekend scrimmage type settings. You were there every day. Would you would you put Lorenz Metz in that kind of most improved category just from the standpoint of, to me at least, I didn't think he would be ready to step in and be a starting level offensive lineman I I thought it was going to take a little bit more time and it seems like he's kind of over this last week or so elevated his play or at least separated himself from the rest to kind of take that I guess right or left tackle position we don't really know yet how they're going to line up yeah I, I think he definitely probably would fit the category of most improved just he's only been playing offensive line for literally 12 months camp last year. Right. And that's kind of where I'm coming from is like, I just didn't, I mean, you can be big and you can be quick and you can have all those things like he has, but I mean, there's a lot of technique. There's a lot of refinement to play in that position. And I just didn't think he would take to it as quickly as he has. I think that's fair. Um, I think Ron Crook has done a phenomenal job with him. One, it doesn't hurt that not only is he 6'9", 330 pounds or whatever he is, he's really athletic. Like, I don't think people understand that about him yet. As he's not just a guy that's a giant. He's a guy that can move. Um, I still think, you know, you can get him with some, some misdirection in the passing game. In the running game, I mean, he's just so big, he's just going to plow you, maul you. Right, I mean, 
any anybody that tries to bull rush him, they're going to have a hard time because his arms. He's just going to keep them away from their bot from his body. So you're going to have to have some level of technique and variance to your pass rush. Yeah, I think to really work on him, and I mean we'll get into that some some possibilities along those lines when we get into the schedule a little bit. But, you know, it's going to be a work in progress. I think there's going to be times where he looks great, and I think there's going to be times where, at least early, where he maybe, you know, looks out of place and someone, you know, whips him with a spin move or or gets him off balance or something because he is so big they get up under him and, and kind of throw him. But, you know, but you can't really I – mean, we talked about this before. You can't really – offensive line is one of those deals. You just got to go out there and play. You're not really going to improve until you are put in those situations and have to kind of react to what a defense is doing in real game speed. Yeah. He's going to have, he's going to have some growing up to do. I don't think that's a question at all, but I mean, I, I think especially for his sake, this is probably a year that you would like to have maybe had a, a quote unquote buy game or two. A Dino or Dino Boyd. Yeah. <laughs> kind of an, a, a grad, another grad transfer type guy. But ultimately, I mean, long term, what this is going to do is it accelerates the, the timeline for Mets. And now you might potentially have a pair of four year starters on your offensive line. Yeah. Because Cooper's going to be there for four years. And if Mets... You actually... What? You actually really have... Wasn't Zakari only a redshirt freshman? And he, or, no, he was a... He played, he played six... Saw, red yeah, redshirt sophomore. Well, no. Sophomore, okay. But, so, he, I mean, he's, he's basically a four-year starter, though, too. Yeah, I mean, he started six games as a redshirt freshman. And then you're going to, you know, potentially have those two guys. I think Mendiola is going to slide, maybe slide into that next year. Uh, It'll probably be for that spot replacing Morgan James. It'll probably be Mendiola and and Dylan O'Quinn, if I had to guess. Right. Um, But still, you're you're getting to a point where, and this doesn't happen in college, if Mets can get this done, and prove that that he can hold up and and do the job where you're going to have long-term roster stability on the offensive line, and that just doesn't happen because guys generally don't produce until they're juniors or seniors. And so you get one or two years of a guy and they move on. Having a, a large majority of your line together for three, four years just doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. No, no. So, all right. Let's get into the schedule. Camp was good. I, the one the one parting thought on camp, as easy a camp as I can remember covering. At no point did I really hit the wall where it was like, I just don't want to wake up today and go out there and do this. <laughs> and let me tell you when, you, when you're doing 19 practices in 22 days, 23 days, whatever it is, there is typically a point where you're like, not today, man, not today. And didn't happen. I, I, you could probably 
attribute a lot of that to winning? <laughs> yeah. It's a lot easier to drive out to Harrison, Indiana when you're covering a team that should be pretty good. And practice is fun to watch because you've got two good units going against each other. I mean, right. you remember two, three, four years ago, we'd get about halfway through a practice and look at each other and go, God, this is awful. Like, this is brutal yeah. to watch. And it, mm-hmm. it turns out it was it was brutal to watch on game as brutal to watch on game day as it was at camp. That has not been the case. There's been compelling storylines. There's been a lot of stuff to talk about. Uh, I think one of the things that always gets the most difficult is by the time you get to camp, you kind of run out of things to talk about. And that's always tough every year because you're again you're writing about 19 practices in 22, 23 days. Um. But I didn't really ever run out of stuff to talk about with this team. There was always kind of something different each day that kind of popped up. And um, it was a really fun camp to cover. I had a really good time. So that's uh, that That will close camp coverage from BCJ as we uh, we get the kick scrimmage tomorrow. Uh, a lot of basically a special team scrimmage, kickoffs, punts, extra points, all that good stuff field goals, um, a lot of work on that stuff tomorrow. Then they'll get into game week on Thursday. I believe we're going to have some practice availability on Saturday. That's not locked up yet, but um, chance to talk to some players on Saturday. And then on the road to UCLA, and uh, I think we'll have the Fickle Press press Conference on Tuesday, uh, but our player availability will be Saturday. So, be ready for all that. If the doors open, I will be there. We will have coverage. Uh, all right, Dave, UCLA. What's your breakdown? What, what's your take on the Bruins as we get ready to break down this schedule here? Twelve games. The first six of them. First seven of them. Not a lot of fun. Well, that could, could be. Yeah, I mean, just on paper, looking <laughs> at it, that's a gauntlet that doesn't look like it's a whole lot of fun. Right. Um, UCLA specifically, it's it's tough to gauge because they don't – Chip Kelly doesn't say anything. He's very good at speaking words, but none of them with any meaning in his daily or every other day post-practice press conferences. And they don't allow the media to really – watch any part of practice past 20 minutes and the first 20 minutes is usually seems to be a lot of special teams work and just your kind of basic position drills. Um, They were much better the second half of the year than what most UC fans saw in game one, which is, you know, to be expected, um, especially offensively, defensively, they, you know, they played better overall, but they were still in shootouts in most of their games that that were close. Uh, Utah gave it to them pretty good towards the end of the year, but other than that, all their games were pretty competitive in, in their Pac-12 pack, pack games. I guess the biggest question is just Joshua Kelly, the running back, who really didn't play hardly at all against UC, ended up having a fantastic year 
And as of a couple of days ago, hadn't practiced in over two weeks, probably going on three weeks. So when you're virtually in game week and you're still not really practicing at all, you're still, they use yellow jerseys for their guys that are being held out. And you're basically just doing some stretching and light jogging. When you're eight days out from game day, my thought is kind of has shifted to, well, are you just too close to game day to play? Like, where are you? Where is a player conditioning-wise? I'm sure he knows what to do and, and all those things. But, I mean, you've got no reps. So it's hard to imagine you're in game shape. And where are, you know, how close are you now to the point of where you just can't play because you're not ready? Um, so that's something to watch for sure. Um, they've had way less injuries than last year. I know leading up to our game last year, yeah, it seems like especially, def- especially defensively at linebacker, they were in a heap of trouble. I mean, they've been hit at linebacker already this year. Their starting middle linebacker is out for the UC game. And one of their other linebackers, something seems off with him. He's been practicing, but the reports I've read kind of make it sound like he's maybe nursing something. Um, Their starting left tackle is out and will likely be replaced by a true freshman, Uh, a highly touted true freshman. So give him his due there. The kid I think is enormous. Something like 6'5", 6'6", 330 as a freshman. But – Again, true freshman, first game on the road. We all know what Nippert has done to non-league teams in the past. Yep. So that will be something to watch. Um, I guess I'll be interested to see offensively, are they more of a blur offense? Because last year they sure weren't with Wilton Spate. Right. And then when he got hurt, they couldn't be with uh, DTR Thompson Robinson. I can't think of his first name at the, at the moment. But I think there'll be more of that this year just because he was kind of their guy the, all the way out then. And so he's not going to be – he's kind of like De- – I mean, for for the most part, he's kind of like Dez. I mean, first game was a little rough, and then he kind of – didn't have any competition the rest of the way and took off. And I think UC probably had a little bit better team around him and played a easier schedule. So, uh, so he should have full grasp of their offense. The throwing will be what to watch. Um, you know, they have good receivers. They have their offensive line was young last year. All those guys seem to be back. Uh, so we'll be more experienced there, but um, yeah, their defense is still going to their defensive backfield is is solid. Donnie Holmes is very very good corner, but he's been banged up a little bit. I would expect him to play though, unless some, there was a setback that you know isn't being reported. But you know, I think it'll be a good a good test for the off for you know UC's offense and and defense. I mean, they they're going to have highly touted players on offense and defense. So we saw how it went last year. It was a close game. I don't really think it's going to be any too different this year. 
I agree. I think UCLA is better. Um, from the things I've heard from out there, though, talking to some people, it just doesn't sound like the Chip Kelly thing is taken. Like it, it, it. From what I've heard, it doesn't seem like he's he's very engaged with his players, with the locker room. It doesn't seem like, not that it's a bad culture, but it doesn't seem like what he had going at Oregon has followed him to UCLA in a lot of ways. Right. Um, it, it seems like that's been a bit of a problem. So I'm interested to see how week one, how this team responds, because you know they're going to remember what happened last year. Most of, oh, the, for sure, but most of those guys are back. At the same time, you know, we know Fickle and Freeman and Juno and all those guys, and we know the guys on the team. They're going to be juiced. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, like, like my point being – I don't think Cincinnati's going to surprise them by hitting them in the mouth like they did last year. No, I wouldn't think so. Because I don't think they expected, after what UC had put on tape the previous year, right? for game one, I don't think they expected UC to just line up and just straight bust them in the face over and over and over again for the final three quarters. So I think they'll be ready for that. UC is going to have to be able to mix it up a little bit. They're going to have to be a little bit more multiple because I think UCLA is going to gear up to stop Mike Warren and and Dokes and McClelland and, and whatever else is going on out there. So I think they're going to have to prove that they can do, you know, they, they didn't, Des had, what, 100 yards passing in that game? 112? Yeah, yeah maybe, right around there. So like, they're going to have to be more more multiple because they're, the point being, they're not going to surprise UCLA the way they did last year by just coming no. up, lining up, and punching them in the face. Um, and that, that's probably where, you know, DeGuara yeah. and Wiley come in to play that weren't really a part of the game plan last year that are now much more prominent All right. ways that they can kind of give them a different look. we got to get this thing moving, or we this podcast is going to be three hours <laughs> long. Prediction. Are we doing a UCLA prediction this week? I'm, we're doing the whole skill. we got to come up with a, a, a oh. record at the end of this oh. thing, right? Win. Win. Come on. All right. I also am going win. Ohio State in Columbus. September 7th, noon. You can join me. I will be at Taft's Brewporium. This podcast, of course, brought to you by Taft's Brewporium. The fine folks at Taft's, once again, a sponsor of the BCJ podcast for the football season. You can get wonderful pizza. Absolutely delicious pizza, actually. Really good wings. Uh, their wings are very, very, very tasty as well. Uh, they do uh, a brunch menu on the weekends that we have uh, we have tried out. Great beer. Lots of TVs. Very Bearcat friendly, uh, as evidenced by the fact that we are now in year two of Taft's Brewporium hosting watch parties. So make sure you are with us. If you can't make it to Columbus, if you can't make it to Columbus, go to Columbus. Go to the game. If you can't make it to Columbus, uh, we'll have Brent at the game doing coverage. I'm going to run the watch party. I will be at Taft's. Come watch the game with me. Noon, September 7th, Bearcats, Buckeyes, Ohio Stadium. Dave, I don't feel great about this one. 
Well, <laughs> I don't either. I don't want to like boil it down to just one specific thing, but this game is all about Justin Fields. Yeah. Because Ohio State has more four- and five-star players than any team in the country. So if, if everybody plays to that type of ability, they should win. They're at home. They never lose at home. They certainly never lose at home to non-conference teams that aren't USC or Oklahoma in, that I can think of in the last, like, 15 years. Um, they are stacked. They put three or four receivers into the NFL draft and they still might have the best receiving core in college football. Um, so we'll get a really good idea of how good Kobe Bryant is when he goes up against Ben Victor, KJ Hill, and Chris Olive, because those three dudes are all playing in the NFL. Right. Um, J.K. Dobbins is a top five to ten running back in college football. Demario McCall is a change of pace former five-star elite-level running back. So offensively, they've got everything you can think of that you would want. And I don't think anyone can argue that their offense functioned at a much higher efficiency rate when Ryan Day was in charge last year versus when Urban Meyer was in charge. That's not opinion. That's Um, pretty much just fact. Right. Defensively, Chase Young, defensive end, is the problem that, you know, that we might be exposed with Lorenz at offensive line because he is, he's arguably the top non-quarterback prospect for the 2020 draft. Yeah. So, I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, he's going to probably have his way almost on a weekly basis no matter who you have. So, at offensive line. So it's going to be imperative, I would imagine, that we're going to see a lot of some Bruno LaBelle and Will Hebert. is going to be in the game a lot. Wherever he lines up. Um, they're, they're, I guess if they have a weakness defensively, it's the back seven. Um, the linebacking group is not what I would consider elite from a speed or athleticism standpoint. And I think the DBs are okay. Um, but they're still, every one of them was still probably a four or a five star. Not that, you know, once yeah. you get to college, I think that kind of goes out the window. But they have the ability in there somewhere, more than likely. So Against a young wide yeah, receiver think, group that hasn't really made a name for itself yet. Right. I mean, I know a lot of UC fans are jacked up, and I get it. And if, if you're going to beat them, this is the year. Because all it takes is a great defensive effort from UC and Justin Fields not being ready for that type of competition yet. Um, you know, they've got absolutely nothing behind him, which is more of a year-long issue than maybe a second game of the year issue. Right. But really, I mean, it kind of just boils down to that. He's... He's what, 6'3", 6'4", 230 pounds, can run, can throw, but, I mean, he hasn't really played. Georgia really only used him in blowouts or short yardage slash goal line situations. So commanding an offense is not something he's really done in a game situation yet. 
Prediction. Loss. I agree, unfortunately. I would put the odds of a Cincinnati win somewhere between 20 and 30%. You start to factor in the officials, I think it's probably generous too. You start to factor in the officials and everything else that goes with playing at Ohio Stadium. I don't feel great about this one. Key, come out healthy. I think they can keep it close. I think it's going to be respectable. I think it can be a very good showing on ABC for Luke Fickle against Ohio State. That's going to get a lot of national attention uh, because, obviously, of Fickle's ties to Ohio State and what he has done at Cincinnati. Keep it close. Give yourself a chance in the fourth quarter. Maybe you steal one. If you don't, get out of there healthy and, and get on to the next four games, which really the next four games are going to tell the story of the season. The first one, Miami of Ohio. I don't think they're any good. No, I mean, they're... They don't know what they're, they're doing at quarterback. Yeah, I mean, up at, I, I was kind of surprised when we did the preview articles that um, Alex Mazzone, the Michigan transfer, doesn't seem to be in the running at all. Yeah. And he's a, he's a redshirt senior. And A.J. Mayer, who's a true freshman, and another kid who's a redshirt freshman, a redshirt sophomore who really hasn't played, they're the ones kind of battling for the starting quarterback position. And their non-conference schedule is absurd. They go, they play at Iowa, at UC, and at Ohio State for three of their four non-conference games. Yeah. So you're replacing Gus Ragland on offense along with two all-league level offensive linemen, your leading receiver, and your top two running backs from a carries production standpoint. And then you're replacing your all-everything linebacker who basically led them in every category that a defense can be chartered in. Uh, They still have have some good players in the secondary. They have some good players on the defensive line. And they return a couple of good players on the offensive line, but this is kind of I mean, I know last year's game was only twenty one nothing, but if you were there, Miami never threatened. You know, in the pouring down rain the whole time. So we're kind of starting to get back to the Isaiah Peed years where it was like forty five to seven type stuff, because I don't think at Nipper, if everybody's healthy, I don't think they can stay within four touchdowns easily. I, I concur. We'll go win. We don't have to spend a lot of win. time on that one, I don't think. No. Marshall at Marshall, always tricky. Edwards Stadium, not an easy place to play. I think there will be a good contingent of Bearcat fans that, that make the trip. Uh, two and a half hour drive down the AA highway. This one's going to be just in terms of you're coming off two big time games to open the season and then a rivalry game. And then after this game, you've got UCF and Houston to start AAC play. This can be a tricky one if they're not dialed in. And we saw that with Ohio last year. Fortunately, that game was at Nippert. And they were able to wear them down and, and you know, kind of overwhelm them in the middle third to fourth quarter. You can't let Marshall jump out early in this one. You, you have to have your... 
your senses heightened and, and go into this game knowing this is not going to be easy. And, it, and it's a situation where it can be very tricky with UCF six days away at Nippert Stadium. For sure. I mean, they, they were picked to win their division as Conference USA. They returned a lot of talent on offense. You know they're going to have speed. And Marshall's always recruited Florida and, and the Southeast. Um, I'm pretty sure their best defensive player who was a defensive lineman transferred unexpectedly this offseason. So I think that's kind of where – we're gonna. We need to see where this offense is. Can it be more dynamic? Not saying that it's gonna be like a shootout, but I don't know if, you know, I don't know if you know. UC held their opponents to seventeen and a half points last year. Just based on who they're playing this year, I think that that's gonna be a lot more kind difficult. of unrealistic. Yeah. So this is kind of one of those games where, kind of like the Ohio game. I mean, they they ended up scoring thirty, I think, and UC scored thirty four. Right. So. I think it's going to be similar in that regard as far as, as score goes. You might need to take advantage of a of a defense that you are that your players are more talented than. I agree. I think this one's going to be close, Dave. But I think I think, it, I think it will. I think it will be for. I mean, I, I, it could go either way. Honestly, I mean, it's a road game. But I, I think I think UC can win win comfortably at the end. I think Mike on the strength of Mike Warren they pull away late. I think that's up front is the difference between an AAC team and a Conference USA team, and I think you keep punching them in the mouth in that third and fourth quarter, and and Mike Warren is the difference. And uh, right. I, I, and, I got the Bearcats and teams, to win. The teams haven't seen Jared Dokes either, and right. that's. I mean, when you when you're game playing for Warren and you know what he brings, and then he comes out and Dux comes in, there's just no, you know, there's no drop off, there's no reprieve for you, so to speak. All right. I know the the Ohio State game is the game everybody points to. Not me. Friday, October fourth, family weekend, <laughs> eight p.m. kickoff is the biggest game of the year. For, for me. sure, we're trying to. We're trying to win a trophy here, man. Like, you beat Ohio State, that's that's awesome. But, like, you beat UCF, you're in line to win a trophy. Yeah. Break it down for me. Here's the shocker. They don't have a quarterback yet, and I cannot believe it. So, everyone knows Mackenzie Milton and his horrific injury against USF last year. Wasn't going to play this year. Then... Probably a month or so ago, Daryl Mack gets injured. He's he might be back by the time the UC game comes around. But he'll but have I missed a lot. To, right? Oh yeah, he's still out probably another month. But so you know, but I guess conventional wisdom was just like Brandon Wimbush transferred from Notre Dame to UCF. He didn't transfer there enough to play. Well, you still got to win the job. We're, well, apparently he hasn't because we're a week away and they still haven't named a quarterback. And if it's not him, it's a redshirt freshman that has taken one snap, I think, or made one throw, or a true freshman. So it's not like he's in a battle with the, with some other vets. Right. It's, it's not a Hayden, Hayden Moore 
Des Ritter thing. Like, these guys have never played, and he hasn't done enough to win the job as of when I read an article from earlier today, which is, I just can't, I'm stunned by it. Outside of that, they are as loaded as Ohio State is at skill position. I mean, two awesome running backs, a slot receiver slash running back, two really good wide receivers. Uh, the issue is going to be up front defensively. They they graduated three, like you see, three really important guys from their defensive line. Uh, Richie Grant, their safety is kind of like a James Wiggins. I mean, he's there. Everybody knows Richie Grant. If you really, really follow college football, like I think he made the. Knows. I think he made the athletic second team All American at safety. Yes, he did. So. You know, it's kind of one of those things where what the heck is going on at quarterback and how much of a bump do we get from playing at home? Yeah. What What do you think? Because, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting. I don't know. I think you listened to it. I hope our fans did because it was a really good interview. Stephen Godfrey from yeah, I what it. used to be SB Nation, now Banner Society. Had an hour interview with Coach Fickle uh, this week, and I thought it was interesting. He he didn't come out and say the UCF game, but he talked about how there were some situations where he felt they weren't quite ready. And I would agree with and that. And it didn't have to. And it didn't have to do with X's and O's. It was mental. And so here's your opportunity at home Friday. I don't think UCF's going to be undefeated. I think they're going to lose to Stanford. Um, but everyone's get, still going to be watching because now people are going to be watching because they want to see them lose because everybody can't stand their fan base. Right. So, you know, again, this is kind of like the Ohio State game. You kind of know what you need to do. There's not a lot of, not a lot of secrets to this one. Who you got? I got UC. All right. I think I'm going to agree. I think I'm going to agree. I think Friday night, Nippert Stadium, big game, family weekend, a lot of important festivities surrounding the game. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, I, I agree. I think it's. I think. I think the Bearcats win. You get an, an extra day off. And then October 12th, travel to Houston. Big-time quarterback. The uh, Dana Holgerson oh, effect. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> I I don't feel great about this one, honestly. Derek King is that dude. Yeah. Offensively, they're stacked, man. Derek Offensively, King. they stink. That's the thing. They're going to be a Big 12 team. No, they're not. Their defense is worse than Big 12 level. Well, they'll be an AAC team playing like a Big 12 team. (laughs) So, for those that maybe missed the Houston preview, obviously everyone knows they're replacing Ed Oliver. They're also replacing their top three tacklers, their top three linebackers. I believe their top three or four defensive backs. 
And they were bad last year on defense. <clears throat> and oh, they they were terrible defensively last year. So it's kind of one of those things where does a new coach do they get a little better to support their awesome offense, or does it just totally fly out the window and they're just as bad as they were last year? No, no matter how good or bad they are defensively, Houston's going to have to score a ton of points to win. Yeah. They're not, they're not holding Dirkton and that offense like in the twenties. I would be stunned. I agree. <coughs> well, you that gotta... said, Houston's going to win. I think I've got a loss here. I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be high scoring. And and this is one of those things, much like we talked about last year, and we got proven wrong on a lot last year. So, but I I'm a I'm a you're going to love this line. I'm going to bring it back. I see better than I hear. This Thank team, you, Marvin. This team was still as good as they were, as good as Cincinnati was last year. They were mistake-prone on the road. Yeah. And I need to see that improve. Because if you're going to get in a shootout with Houston on the road, you turn it over inside their 25-yard line a couple times, turn it over inside your own 25-yard line a couple times, you're creating a hole that's going to be really tough to dig out of. If I'm going with the win at UCF at home, I think I'm going with a loss at Houston on the road. This is where things lighten up considerably for a couple weeks. Uh, October 19th, two days after my birthday, the 2009 celebration. It's a celebration. Cincinnati hosting Tulsa. This We don't have to talk much about this one, do we? I don't know anything about them except they Dunk last year, and if they're not better this year, Philip Montgomery's getting fired, more than likely. So uh, we're not losing at home to Tulsa. Next. Not with Marty Gilliard and Tony Pike and Armand Benz. <laughs> and Brian Kelly. And Brian Kelly. If it's me, me and you out there. <laughs> I know, but I'm just saying. They're not losing that game with those guys in the building. Not happening. All right. That brings us to our second bye week. The first one being... Between Miami and Marshall, they've got a bye. They also have a bye between Tulsa and hosting ECU. So yeah, they go they go three games by three games by five games, which is pretty pretty good to play. So enjoy the bye week with a nice crisp mug of Trace Pound Test coffee, freshly roasted gourmet <laughs> coffee shipped directly to you. The coffee beans are roasted to order your order and shipped out immediately. Every bag of beans has the roast date clearly printed on it, so you know that your coffee is absolutely fresh. You can find out about Trace Pountas Coffee by going to www.tracepountas.com slash coffee. That's T-R-E-S-P-O-N-T-A-S dot com slash coffee. All coffee orders are roasted fresh for you. They are shipped out immediately. They offer 12-ounce bags in both whole bean and ground coffee. You can choose between light, medium, dark, and French roasts. Or 
They even have the K-Cup option now where you can get K-Cups. So go to the Trace Pound Test website. You sign up for a subscription and get freshly roasted beans sent to you, your choice, every one, two, or four weeks. When you sign up, go to checkout. At checkout, listeners of the BCJ podcast can enter Bearcats. And that gives you 20% off every bag of coffee in your subscription. Once again, at checkout, www.trespontas.com slash coffee at checkout. Enter Bearcats, 20% off, also free shipping. Do it now. You don't want to miss out. It is the official coffee of BearcatJournal.com. All right. One bye week followed by another bye week as Cincinnati travels to Greenville, North Carolina, Dowdy <laughs> Ficklin Stadium, and they take on the ECU Pirates. Um, I actually, I don't think they're going to give UC much of a game, but I think they're going to be a lot better because from what... Man, last I, year was as bad as... Well, I think not even just like as bad as they looked on the field. Like, I think that whole situation was a mess. Um, And their new coach has had Mike Houston. He's had success every level he's gone. So I at least going to give him the benefit of the doubt that it will not be a tire fire. Even in year, I'm, I'm assuming they're calling this year zero. So they're not, from a talent standpoint, anywhere near ready to compete with like UC and UCF, but it's not, I don't think it's going to be hysterically bad as it was last year, but definitely still a UC win. Agreed. Okay. Now we'll talk bye week, November 9th, UConn homecoming. (laughs) Get out, get out. Run them I'm still, out, I'm score still trying as to get many points as you can. Score a hundred. Run them out the door. I'm still trying to get Brandon to agree on the free beer till UConn scores deal that I came up with. As as part of like as a as a uh, an aside to Randy Etzel's ridiculous contract where he gets all these. Yeah, like right, like if they score first, he gets like two grand right. or something just ridiculous. I mean, dollar beer. Dollar. They were. Thirsty Saturday, dollar beer until UConn scores. They were so their defense. I mean, everyone knows about their defense being historically, like statistically, the worst defense ever in the, in history, the history of, of college, college football. football. Ever, ever. The part that is kind of getting overlooked is that their offense was not terrible, but their one really good player is gone. Right. So now they could have a terrible offense and a terrible defense. Do you know where their one really good player on defense is? Yeah, on our sideline, <laughs> wearing number 27. So, like, I mean, they're just going – it really is name the score. And this is the one time that I'm kind of disappointed that Coach Fickle is such a great guy. Because if I was coaching – we would try to be the first college football team ever to score a hundred points. I agree. I would, I would score as early and often as humanly possible without question. But our coach is just such a stand up individual that that will never even enter his mind. So we'll probably win 56 to seven. 
Yeah, I got a win as well. Shocking, I know. Um, USF, at home. Or no, at USF, sorry. No, on the road. Yeah, at USF, Raymond James Stadium, November 16th. Um, I don't know what to think about them. It's it's going to be kind of like last year. I mean, they've got guys. Yeah, they've got uh, dudes. Blake, Bar- Blake Barnett's back. Jordan Cronkite's back. The receivers are back. Their issue is going to be they got a new offensive coordinator, so I guess they're banking on being more of a true spread-type team. Uh, Barnett was having a hell of a year last year before he started to get killed. Uh, I mean, he didn't play against UC, but – they have so if he gets hurt again, they're really, really in trouble because both Chris Oladokin and Brett Keane, who played against UC last year, they both transferred. Yeah. So they've got absolutely nothing behind Barnett. They still have some good players on defense, but it's just kind of like where where is everybody with Charlie Strong? See, and that's, you know, that's I, to me, that's the million-dollar question here. Does Charlie Strong have grip on this team by November 16th? Right. Kind of. Like, they had, they were 7-0 last year, lost to Houston, and then inexplicably lost at home to Tulane, and that kind of just carried over the rest of the year. They yeah. lost out. So where are they this year? <clears throat> In kind of a similar situation, you know, to where they were last year. I still think you see a win. I think it's a coaching mismatch. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, I, I would I would give them the nod on the road, but they have the ability to make it a game yeah. and to win the game. But it's kind of it's kind of takes you back to like those Jim Levitt days, where you were like. UC's up 7 nothing with Brian Kelly versus Jim Levitt before the ball's even kicked off. Right. Um, Temple, senior day, November 23rd, Saturday. I, I know this. I know Temple celebrating on the UC sideline at the end of that game last year sat wrong with a lot of people in red and black. They have had four head coaches since that game. <laughs> three, sorry. <laughs> Just three. I over-exaggerated. My bad. Um, I have I have a very difficult time seeing Cincinnati lose this game to Temple on senior day. I mean, we've lost four in a row. we got to break the streak at some point. Yeah. And I think this might be relatively convincing. I do, too. I think they've got... They've got some issues offensively. Um, quarterback back who was okay against UC. He's pretty good against everybody else. Yeah. He made some big-time throws when he needed to against UC. He kind of looked like dog crap most of the game until that last drive in the fourth quarter and then in There's, overtime. They didn't have an offense last year. Their offense last year was chuck it deep, hope you get the jump ball. If not, hope you get the pass interference. Right. They didn't have so any, they're, they're any – offense they're leading running backs gone doesn't look like anyone's really emerged from a group that hasn't really done much in their college career 
they're leading receivers on the Bengals right now. He's not going to make the team, but he's on the Bengals. Isaiah Wright is a bad dude. He's a kick return, punt return receiver. I mean, he, he can play. Uh, they replace a second-round pick at corner and a draft pick at safety. So we'll see how, how their replacements do. Um, they're always going to be pretty good on defense. Rod Carey, I think, is more run-based defense than Jeff Collins was. He's not – he doesn't have a – he doesn't wear capris uh, on game day, and he doesn't have some weird, like, whiteboard where you write down your Twitter handle when you get an interception. <laughs> so we'll see how that how that goes. Um, but, yeah, I think – I think UC is just a better football team. And they were a better football team last year. They just didn't play like it, and that happens. And you know, But I think they're a better football team, and they're playing at home. And this could be a game where they're like, we get this one, we clinch the East, depending on how uh, the rest of the schedules shake out. All right, at this point in time, you have UC 8-0 or 7-0. No, I have one. I have Ohio State loss in American Athletic Conference play. Oh, yeah, in Amer- yes, okay, yes. I didn't know where we were on the schedule. We are at Memphis, November 29th. <laughs> Final game of the regular season at Memphis. ESPN ABC game. Uh, one of the two. If they're seven and zero, there's a good chance they got the East already wrapped up going into this game, and. Potentially, potentially playing a team that they could be meeting a week later. A week later. So that dynamic, that dynamic is very interesting to see how both of these teams would handle that, depending on you know each situation. Um, I think that that gives this game a little bit of an interesting twist. I've got them at six and one. I think for all intents and purposes. I don't think at this point UCF is going to have three losses in conference play. No, probably not. So Cincinnati would need to win this game in order to right. – well, they would have the tiebreaker at – No, they, they would have the tiebreaker yeah. if they were both 7-1. and one. Um, If Cincinnati beat Central Florida, obviously. Right. Uh, what I'm talking about is if they're 6-2. and two. Like if they lose to Memphis, mm-hmm. but if you, you know, UCF, if they're 6-2 and two, – Cincinnati would have the tiebreaker via the win that we predicted. Um, if UCF is 7-1, and one, then they would get it. This could be a very interesting game for Cincinnati in terms of trying to win the East uh, and make right. it to the, uh, the AAC title game. Very tough, I think, to beat Memphis on a Friday night in Memphis. Well, I think they have the best group of skill, like if you go quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, I think they have the best four together in the conference. Memphis. Um, Yes, Brady White will now be a three-year starter, I think, at quarterback. Maybe, pretty sure, maybe last year was his first year starting. Uh, Patrick Taylor Jr., running back, who ran for over 1,000 yards last year and was their third string running back. Uh, DeMonte yep. Coxie at wide rece- receiver is probably the best receiver in the league. 
and Joey Magnifico, which you cannot Magnifico. get a better name than that, is probably the best. You know, I would put him and DeGuara up there as one and two A as the tight ends in the league. So they have the guys on the outside, uh, you know, skill guys. Their defense was okay last year, but was pretty much entirely sophomores and juniors. So you would probably expect a bump from them. And I've seen some stuff where, I don't know his name offhand, but you know, you see those lists of like the next up and coming assistant coaches. And I think their defensive coordinator is getting some, some love for some people that kind of cover that, that realm of college football. So on the road, you know, they've, they almost beat UCF at home. They're probably going to be playing for the West. If not, have already clinched right. the West. I I think they're I think they're way better than Houston all around. Um, so I like I think they're hands down kind of the favorite in the West. So I have this as a loss just because it's very hard for me to picture UC going eleven and one with their only loss at Ohio State. And this to me is the most likely spot to find another a second loss i've had nine and three look from looking at the schedule from the day the schedule came out i think i'm going to agree with you and stick with my nine and three i think that puts them in a situation where they are either tied with ucf or second behind ucf in the east which i think is where most have them predicted i I think it's that close i mean i i think that's fair i mean for as much as we want to hope that UCF takes a step back, I mean, there's still, still, still lost one game in two years, and they still got a lot of really good dudes on offense. They're just not as good at quarterback for, as they have been. Right. Which, so, that's a big deal. Yeah, Mackenzie I mean, I Milton was a bad dude. I think that's totally fair. Like, 9-3, 10-2, I, I, think, I think at first, People were talking about the schedule as just all in all brutal, and you know they could be eight, seven, and five, eight and four, and be better. But the more I think about it, I think I think they're better too. Yeah, I mean, I there's still too. questions on the offensive line and defensive line. But those but are I two mean, groups that should improve as the season improves. They should be better at quarterback. They should be better at running back. They should be better at linebacker. And they should be better at defensive back than they were last year. Yeah. So why can't they win some of those games that against tougher teams? Yeah. I agree. I got nine and three. Dave's got 10 and two. Dave's got at 10 and two with the win over UCF. Dave has got UC as the champions of the East in the American athletic conference. I have got them at a 50-50 shot, depending on does UCF lose one more American Athletic Conference game. If they're both 6-2 and two and UC has the win, then UC is the champion in the East. So I think, yeah, I think the, pretty the, close. The crappy part for UC is they added Houston and Memphis, where Memphis drops off UCF's schedule. They've played them the last two years. Yeah. 
So EC is adding essentially the more than likely third and fourth best teams or, you know, second, third, fourth best teams in the league while at the same time UCF is dropping off the best team from the other division. Right. So they're, 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 they could be replacing Memphis with Tulsa for all I know. Like right. I don't know who their new West teams are. So that's kind of a, a slight screw job. Yeah, but that's, I mean, UCF, or Cincinnati, <laughs> Cincinnati had that advantage last year. Right, just the way the timing works out. I yeah. mean, it'll all change next year when you know, when they figure out what the heck they're doing with UConn being gone. Yeah. All right, man, that's the season preview. David at 10-2, and two, Chad at 9-3. and three. And I think looking at the schedule, either one of those, and it would be a successful season in year three for Luke Fickle and the Bearcats. I think you'd clearly you'd prefer ten and two. But I well, think yeah. I think getting a chance to get yourself back to double digit wins for the second time, uh, as you go to a bowl game, I think would be very much a success for how this is uh for how this, this season could play out. So that's gonna wrap it up. We will uh we'll be at the the special teams, they call it the kick scrimmage tomorrow. Uh, there's a, there's an event that I will be at on Thursday, uh, where the media is being invited to try all the new food and whatnot at Nippert stadium. I'm wondering if we're going to be able to try the beer. Um, that would be, do they have, do they have a new beer? I don't know. I, I'm showing up hoping for beer. It wasn't in my, my email that I got, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully there's beer at our luncheon. Uh, and then Saturday practice is open uh, to talk to some players. Um, and then Tuesday, Luke Fickle press conference. Thursday, the 29th, the UCLA game, big game for basketball recruiting. Uh, you have, I'm sure, seen Mike Saunders will be in town. The commitment they will have Gabe and Mason Madsen, uh, they're the, the primary targets. On ta- on, in town for an official visit. It looks like J.J. Trainer from Louisville will be in town. Uh, that very likely could be an official visit as well. We'll have all the other names in terms of who is visiting for football and basketball as we get closer to the game. Dave, I do not, however, expect any media access outside of Luke Fickle's weekly press conference on Ohio State Week. I think they yeah, I would shut that bad boy down. Say that's a safe bet that they'll only do what they're obligated to do. Yeah, and I get it. I I don't love it, but I get it. All, from the standpoint of like, if you open a Tuesday practice uh, like we normally have, you're talking about what 15, 20 people from Ohio State making the trek down to want to talk to oh, Coach Fickle. You have to also. You have to account for all of the Cincinnati media who yeah. will make will make their grand appearance for the first time this year. Yeah, so it's a situation where I would guess we're going to have pretty limited access Ohio State week, but everything from there should be uh, should be smooth sailing as we roll through the 2019 season. Thank you to everybody 
for tuning in for our camp coverage. BCJ, once again, dominated camp coverage, camp reports every day, videos every day, access, insight, stuff that you can't get anywhere else. You only get a Bearcat Journal. Thank you, everybody, for uh, being a part of that. If you're not a member, you can join now. You get your first month for a dollar. Or you can sign up for a year and get 30% off the annual subscription. So if you're not a member of Bearcat Journal and you're listening to this podcast, go do that now. You are going to want to be a member as we get into football season. And then John Brandon's inaugural basketball campaign begins here soon as well. So go sign up, BearcatJournal.com. <coughs> Click on join. <coughs> and make yourself one of the newest members of Bearcat Journal today. Dave, thank you very much, sir. Thank you. And we will talk here in the next couple days as we get ready to preview the Bruins of UCLA. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Dave Simone. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.